Prayer to me is just communication, conversation, and it's a continual thing. I'm not really very good verbally with prayer, but simple is okay. And God knows my heart, and He hears the prayers of your heart. I'm a walker, and I pray while I'm walking. And just being in God's creation is like a prayer to me. And it's not just praying. I mean, it's not just a formal prayer. Prayer to me is just, it's as close as your breath. It's there. I find it, I find it harder to pray when I've had struggles in my life. I was 42 when I was diagnosed with cancer, but I was very hopeful and I had a lot of support and God really saw me through that. Um, as the recurrences happened, I did lose some hope, but God continued to bless me. Somehow, there was always something that I could turn to, a person, a, a, a word of scripture that God would place in my heart. And um, I'm still hopeful. I think that cancer has made my life um, and my relationship with the Lord um, so much deeper where it would probably not have been so had I not had the health issues that I have. Never give up. <laughs> There's always hope. Um, and I think God wants us to fight. I think God, you know, wants us to be an example of perseverance. Hang in there. Stay tough. And, um, and I won't give up until I know it's absolutely, he's ready for me. He's ready to take me. Last week, we talked about um, the Bible is a story that meets with our story. And I, I quoted that good stories begin with a lump in the throat. Maybe we learned this week they, they begin with a lump in the breast or a cry in the night. It's when the next chapter of the story begins. And, and when that chapter starts, how do you pray then? Easy to pray. Oh, thank you for those cute little first graders. But how do you pray when the future looks darker? I learned again this week. I was with a group of you all in D.C. I learned again that uh, politics in our world gets all the attention. Everybody focuses on the headlines, on the politicians, but politics lives downstream from culture. In other words, our culture fills our lives, our minds, our hearts with things. They flow down, and the politics comes out of that. So the important thing is what's going into our culture, and that's not what politicians do. That's, that's why we need artists and storytellers, musicians, poets. Because they look down the stream and they say, oh, it could be different. This is what I feel. One of those people who affects the culture is a writer called Anne Lamott. Anne is a writer, very gifted, who in her adult years from a very chaotic background, decided that Jesus was real and that she should follow him. 
and now talks about what life is like as a single mom, who then, frankly, becomes a single grandmom. And this August, I read this. She said, my six-year-old associate, that's what she calls her grandson, My six-year-old associate, who sleeps down the hall about 30 feet away with both of our doors wide open, wakes up many mornings and predicts at the top of his voice, this might be the best day ever. But in the dead of the night, a tiny voice calls out to me, Nana, Nana, will you ever get sick or die? And he cries at the very thought. He terrorizes himself. Lamont says, I think this says it all. If you're alive and conscious and sensitive, which is to say human, you're going to have incredible joy and terror this side of eternity. It's life 101, life on life's terms, not ours. All these things, fear and joy and grace and mess and isolation and communion, all mixed together. Then talking about praying in that life, she says, it's not helpful to tell each other cute things we saw on bumper stickers. It's condescending and patronizing. And it makes people turn on you. So how do we pray when that call comes in the middle of the night or that lump is in our breast or in our throat? This fall, we've been trying to learn from people who prayed before us and wrote down their prayers. They wrote down their prayers in that part of the Bible we call the Psalms. It's right in the middle of the book. And we started, we started, how do we pray, with the example of somebody who over the course of their 120-year-old life learned how to pray in all different circumstances. As a prince of Egypt, as a refugee in the the desert, as a... A terrorist leading a revolution, he learned how to pray. His name was Moses. Remember, we started the series in Exodus 33. They've escaped from Egypt's slavery, and they set up a tent, the tent of meeting, where everybody would go to pray. But when Moses went to the tent, the Bible says, all the people would stand at the edge of their doors and lower their heads. Because Moses talked to God as one speaks to a friend face to face. He learned how to pray. He learned how to talk about the most important things in his life. I bet he talked to God about the lump in his throat, the lump in his wife's breast, the cry of his grandson. I I bet he prayed just like you did and learned. At the end of his life, Not at the beginning, but at the end of his life, this is how he prays in Psalm 90. Let's do this together. Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. You turn people back to dust with a word. Yet you sweep people away in the sleep of death. They're like new grass of the morning. 
we're terrified. For you see our sins, our secrets in the light of your presence. All our days pass away under your wrath. He continues to pray, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Fill us with joy as many days as we have been afflicted, as many years as we have seen trouble. May your deeds be shown to your servants, your splendor to their children. May the favor of the Lord our God rest on us. Establish the work of our hands. Yes, establish the work of our hands. A prayer of Moses. A prayer I'd like to be able to pray. But it's the deep end of the pool. It's the prayer that you learn after a long time not hearing God and calling out to God anyway. It's, it's the prayer that we talked about from St. Basil. Remember the first week we talked about Basil the Hermit? I, I said Moses was like Basil the Hermit. His life was like lightning because his prayers were like thunder. His life was like lightning. There was something different about his life because his prayers were like thunder. Not because his prayers were always answered the way he wanted, but because he talked to God so often that God's presence became a constant in his life. It was, it was a touch point that other people could sense and see in the way that he lived. Moses was like Basil, but Moses was also like Anne Lamont. He knew that life is hard and filled with things to be afraid of, And life is short, even if it's 70 years long or 80 years long, or Moses lives to 120, it's still the blink of an eye. And when our kids cry out, will you always be here, we cannot promise because we know that we will die. And maybe that's the first lesson of the prayer. The first thing Moses wants to teach us is that we are not God, we're mortal We don't have to pretend. When we pretend that we will live forever, we start to deny death. We start to pretend like we are eternally young. We start to miss the days that we do have, pretending that it will last forever. It will not last forever. The death rate hovers around 100%. (laughs) Moses may have heard the writer of Ecclesiastes that was captured hundreds of years later. But the writer of Ecclesiastes said, God has made everything beautiful in its time. You look out and saw those turning leaves. They are beautiful in their time, for a short time. God has made everything beautiful in its time, but God has also set eternity in the human heart. And yet we cannot see the end from the beginning. We see just a little fragment of it. 
The first lesson of prayers. We're not God. We're mortal and we're often afraid. God has a different clock than we do. A thousand years in your sight are a watch in the night. A day gone by. To you, people are like grass that springs up and 80 years later is gone. And to live in the fear of God or to live in the fear of death is to miss life. Part of Moses' prayer is, can you find joy in the gift of today? He says, satisfy us in the morning with your love that never fails. So we sing for joy and find gladness in all of our days. Fill us with joy as often as we've been afflicted. How do you find joy if you're afraid? Well, the the reality is I don't think you can. I think you can choose, will I be joyful or will I be fearful? Henri Nouwen says we all have a choice. We can choose to live in the house of fear and death or we can move into the house of love and have God's joy. We can't live both places. Many of you are huddled in the house of fear. Your denial of death is keeping you from experiencing the joy of the day, God's gift to us. Will we live in the house of fear or find the house of love because love casts out fear? So how do you pray? When you're afraid, how do you pray your way from our fear of death and even our fear of God into the house of love and joy? I think you face the idea that I don't have eternity, I have this day. We face our mortality and we look at the psalmist and Moses says, teach us to number our days. Give us a heart of wisdom. Don't make us count our days. Make our days count. Don't make us count our days. You guys are great at counting your days. You've got calendars and appointment books and day timers and little buzzers and beepers that go off. You break up your days into so many little fragments. But are we making our days count? I believe that I have the gift of eternal life. I believe you are meant to live forever. And I believe that eternal life begins as our eyes open to it now. I have uh, talked to you this last year a lot about my friend Steve Hainer, president of Columbia Seminary. Steve said, uh, I've always been a maximizer. I've been a seize the day kind of guy. But today on my 66th birthday, because of cancer, I can no longer seize the day. So I desire instead to embrace the day, to welcome the day with all its twists and turns and surprises and disappointments, delights and discoveries. He said, I'm learning to pray different. And Steve's prayer, the last time we were together, his morning prayer was this. Every day he said, I got up and I say, God, let me love the things that you love. Break my heart with the things that break yours and help me not to duck. I love that last part. God, help me not to duck. 
Steve celebrated his 66th birthday and three months later he died. But because he numbered his days, they were gifts to him. Sometimes I think you need to start your day like that. God, today, just today, let me love the things that you love and let my heart be broken by the things that break your heart and God, help me not to duck. Give me the courage to live life the way you want. Teach us to number our days and gain a heart of wisdom. In the same way that we start our day, we need to be reminded during the day, don't we? I forget. I start the day with God. It's a great thing. And then by 1030, I'm like, okay, we can't make this budget work without affecting this department. And God is absent from the conversation. And I'm filled with fear. Teach us to number our days all day that we might gain a heart of wisdom. Sometimes you need a midday reminder. About 10 years ago, when we were in the upper room generation experience here, and it was wild, we called a consultant in, Cheryl. (coughs) And Cheryl Fleischer was great in part because she was never flustered. On the one hand, she wasn't flustered because it wasn't her problems, it was mine. But mostly she was not flustered because she saw it differently than I did. I said, how do you stay so calm? And she says, well, I've, I've made it a discipline of my life that whenever I'm going to a meeting, when I get to the door, I stop for just a second. I stop for just a second and I say to God, I am a child of yours. I have nothing to prove and nothing to lose in this meeting. And the meeting turns out different, she says. Not better or worse, but if I'm a child of God and I have nothing to prove and I have nothing to lose, then the meeting will be different because I'll be different. That's what prayer does. God changes us. God is changing Rebecca in the choir from the video that we just saw. As the cancer has come back, he is saying, Number your days and gain a heart of wisdom. And she says, I'm not going to give up fighting. Because until God tells me different, each day is a gift from God. How about you? Do you count your days and dissect them, or do you make your days count? Are you waiting for the good times? A lot of people spend their whole lives waiting for the good days to come, and they miss them. Because eternity is breaking in today. But we need to ask God, open my eyes. Teach me to make this day count. Give me a heart of wisdom. And the house of fear moves toward the house of love. Moses finishes his prayer for himself, for us, his prayer maybe for his grandson. And he says, Establish the work of our hands, Lord. Please establish the work of our hands. When Heather and I were talking about this sermon, she said, you got to count on that because you got to land there because all of our work has eternal significance. Everything that we do, not the things that we think are important, everything that we do has eternal significance because it's shaping us and the people that we come in contact with. Sometimes that's easy to see. It's in the great scope of history. 
that probably a couple hundred years from now when our great-grandkids are forced to study European history, the name of Napoleon Bonaparte will be a lot less famous than it is today. He will not be the most famous French person of the 19th century. Instead, it will not be a general, it'll be a chemist. A chemist named Louis. Louis thought that he could help people who were dying of chickenpox and measles and smallpox, but everybody else thought he was crazy. He had this idea that if we give them just a small piece of the disease, they won't catch the disease that kills them. And he asked permission of some parents to try it on their kid. And their kid lived. And thousands and hundreds of thousands and millions and probably now billions of people on planet Earth are alive because Louis Pasteur said, God established the work of my hands. Literally, he did. Strong follower of Christ. God established the work of my hands. You know what I love about Pasteur's story? He got every award that France could offer, became one of the most famous people in the world of his day, died wealthy, and nobody knew where he was buried. He asked his family to make his burial plot so insignificant nobody would know where he was, and he has only three words on his tombstone beyond his name. It says, Louis Pasteur, and then underneath it says, Joseph Meister lived. That was the little boy, the first one that was inoculated. Joseph Meister lived. Joseph Meister's life has the same eternal significance as Louis Pasteur's, as yours and mine. Establish the work of our hands. i got to tell you, those are the great stories the preacher always tells. Usually it's not like that. Usually establish the work of our hands is something that nobody else sees. Some of you uh, need to help me. I'm hoping this month that we can both honor and embarrass our founding pastor, Roger Anderson. Roger is our second pastor, our our founding pastor. I'm the second one. He's turning 90 at the end of this month. The first first, uh, service that he comes to, let's sing to him and just make him blush. Last month, Laura and I went to see them at their little condo up in St. Louis Park. we, uh, We had a great visit with them. He's frail, but he's still peppy as ever on the inside. And we got up to leave. He says, let us walk you out. And on the inside, I'm going, oh, please don't. It'll add a half hour. I will never get back in my life. (laughs) I mean, we're not talking roller derby. We're talking roller. (laughs) And so we go to the elevator, and we go down, and we go across this big lobby. I said, we got it from here, Roger. We got it from here. Don't go all the way to the car with us. And we get halfway through the lobby, and a woman is coming the other way on her roller, And uh, Roger lifts up his hand and says, Marietta, Marietta, I want you to meet these friends of mine. Marietta, would you sing them that song? Any of you who know Roger Anderson know this is totally true. Right in the middle of the lobby, Marietta, would you sing them that song in Swedish that your mother taught you in the old country? And Marietta is almost 90 herself, and she's going, oh, no, no, I couldn't do that. Oh, please, Marietta, they'll love it. Won't you love it? I'm going, yeah, yeah, we'll love it. (laughs) And little Marietta 
stands up straight and starts to sing this song in Swedish. While we just, this audience of four just sits and watches her. And as we went to the car, as we drove away, I realized that Roger Anderson had blessed Marietta in a way that didn't just make her day. It made her feel like she had value. Like she still was being used by God. That's the way it usually happens. God establishes the work of our hands in little ways. When you go out of here today, look at the grounds of this place. There are a couple dozen people in this place who nobody ever sees, and they spend hours and hours making this place look beautiful and changing it season to season. God establishes the work of the hands of the people who get up at a quarter to seven to come here to start our diesels, to drive them out to the places where those who cannot drive to church themselves get picked up. That is an eternal work that God will bless. I don't know what yours is. All I know is that you should not miss it. It is small and it is today. Some of you have never stepped up. You've ducked. You've never stepped up. Don't go to your grave never having done something that will outlast your time on planet Earth. It could be as small as reaching out to somebody that you don't know here in the sanctuary. It could be as big as writing a check bigger than you have ever written in your life and going, oh, Lord Jesus, please don't let this check bounce. (laughs) And sending it to something that will change lives. It could be something that only you know. Ask God to establish the work of your hands. That's how you pray for your grandkids. That's how you pray for your grandparents. Let's end where we started with Anne Lamott. That little incident with her six-year-old associate, her grandson. Remember, uh, he gets up today saying, today might be the best day ever, and crying out in the middle of the night, Grandma, please don't die. And Lamott said this, So I often think of the weeks after the end of World War II, the refugee camps for orphans and dislocated kids. Of course, those children could not sleep at night. But the grown-ups discovered that after you fed them, If you gave each of the children a piece of bread just to hold, they'd drift off to sleep. It was holding bread. There was more to eat if they were still hungry. This was bread to hold to connect them to the great promise that tomorrow would come, that they were loved, that they were watched over, that there would be food when they woke up. Lamont says, My pastor quoted Gandhi the other day, saying there is so much hunger in the world that God comes to earth as bread. There is so much hunger in the world that God comes to earth as bread. And Jesus Christ said, I am the bread of life. You and I are to share Jesus, the bread of life. Because all of us are so hungry. Lamont says this, And we get to call out to each other in the dark 
And our God and the people who love us will not be ticked off that we've woken them up. When my darling grandboy cannot get himself back to sleep, I don't promise him never to get sick or die. I just go and I fish him out of the fear in the dark and I tuck him in next to me. Reach for me. Reach for me, bread of God. And when the light returns, who knows? This might be the best day ever. Let's keep praying. Lord Jesus, when there is a lump in our throat, a lump in our breast, a cry down the hall, or fear of the future, I pray that you will bring your living word back to us. That you will remind us that before the, mo- before the mountains were formed, you were already there. And a thousand years from now, you will be there. When we talk to you, remind us to number our days, not to count them, but to make them count, to give us wisdom about what's really important. Lord Jesus, you taught Moses to establish the work of his hands. I pray that you will give each one of us work today, a task today, large or small, that will give meaning to our lives and hope to others and point towards your love. Teach us, teach us to pray like that. In your blessed name, amen.